Hello, and welcome to the Haunted and Historic Podcast, where we talk about houses, abandoned, historic, and sometimes haunted. I'm Courtney, and I will be your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. This week's episode is more on the darker side. I wanted to cover a topic that I have always found myself wondering about. To put it lightly, if you can say that, the book covers the topic of a heartbreaking murder that took place in an old house at 805 East Tyler Street in Brownsville, Texas. However, I must give a strong warning that this book is a true story that involves the death of children, and it is extremely heavy. I will not be going into depth at all about the murders whatsoever. Even with that, it's still an extremely heavy topic, and I understand if the content level is too dark for some listeners. Thank you to everyone who joined this week, but if you're not comfortable with this topic, I fully understand, and I will have a different episode out next week, and I look forward to having you join then. The book I'll be reviewing is The Long Shadow of Small Ghosts, Murder and Memory in an American City by Laura Tillman. This book is nonfiction, and I'll be reviewing it in whole and giving you an overview of the entire story. As someone who is very interested in true crime, I work really hard to speak respectfully and stay away from glamorizing anything. First, I'll give an in-depth synopsis of the book and provide my review at the end, as well as two questions I would love to hear your answers to. So let's get started. On March 11th, 2003, John Allen Rubio and his wife, Maria Angela Camacho, killed their three young children, Julissa, John Stephen, and Mary Jane. Around 2008, author Laura Tillman started her career working at the Brownsville Herald. Located in Brownsville, Texas, it is only blocks away from the border into Mexico and is one of the poorest cities in America. Laura was halfway through her first year as a newspaper reporter when she was given the assignment to write about the local debate surrounding the building in which the murder of these three children had occurred. The building was a two-story apartment, and although it was decrepit, it was a historic building in Brownsville. When she interviewed people in the community, she states, Some cautioned that the crime was a black hole that held nothing within. Heinous crimes are like that, people said. They do not teach lessons. They only confirm the worst suspicions about what can happen in our world. Neighbors were asked about their personal feelings about what should be done to the building after the murders took place. One neighbor stated that she refused to walk on that side of the street, crossing the road when she passed, and had urged her district county commissioner to have the building demolished. Another neighbor said that the murders never changed the way he felt about the building. It had been there his entire life, and he didn't have a preference as to whether it should be demolished or not. However, this neighbor also stated that many people in the area often heard what sounded like the voices of children and the sounds of babies crying, which caused other neighbors to move out. Laura also interviewed a member of the Brownsville Heritage Council who had strong feelings against the demolition of the building due to the historic value and because numerous permits had been granted to demolish the city's other antique buildings. A quote from the book says, He said such permits were granted regularly, allowing Brownsville's architecture to be slowly, almost imperceptibly depleted until only the best financed restoration projects remained. In such a poor city, it might take decades to get beyond the upper echelon of preservation initiatives and finally begin to work on homes that were less architecturally or historically significant, but still helped Brownsville retain its identity. 
Much of the book also gives a background history about the father of the children, John Allen Rubio. It delves into the drugs and drinking his mom indulged in while pregnant with him. It describes his experience growing up poor in this neighborhood and the lack of affection he was given by his father. A psychologist who testified at one of John Allen's trials stated that he showed signs of psychosis from preschool age and was only worsened by his tumultuous upbringing. He was unable to differentiate between reality and fantasy, and he was behind in nearly every developmental milestone from the time he was born. The upbringing of Maria Angela Camacho, his wife, is also examined. At 14, she had an IQ score of 62, and a year after the murders in 2004, she tested at a level of 51. She was described as easily influenced, docile, and passive with limited conversational skills. She also had a history of hallucinating. All of these events led up to these two troubled people becoming a couple, Angela bringing in two children from a prior relationship and having a child with John Allen, who ultimately says the children have had witchcraft performed on them and are now possessed and must die. I've been a little afraid to review this book because I want to do it justice and I want to be as respectful as possible in describing my understanding and what I appreciate about it. More than anything, I appreciate the thought-provoking nature of this book. It covers so many topics such as mental health and childhood upbringings, murder, remembering and memorializing the victims, capital punishment, preserving historic buildings, and communities in poverty, all of which need the other in order to properly tell this story. I personally don't feel like the correspondence with John Allen or his detailed backstory ever excused his behavior. I felt like she simply gave facts, gave a list of things that happened in his life and what ultimately led to him making this horrific decision, as well as Maria's participation. I also deeply appreciate the author's honesty in many passages because I feel like she allows herself to be very vulnerable and I found myself relating profoundly to things she said, whether I wanted to admit them or not. I have a habit of looking up bad reviews of books I enjoyed because I think it's interesting to see what other people got out of it that I clearly didn't. This book has around a 3.5 star rating on Amazon, and I did dig into the comments a little to get an idea of why. Some of the notable comments were, number one, they didn't like that the book was 20% about the murder and 80% backstory or other information. Number two, too many personal thoughts and insights by the author. And number three, talk too much about the building where the murders occurred. All of these reasons are exactly why I loved the book. This was a five-star read for me, and I'd highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in this topic. I recommend it so much that I will post numerous links about where to find it. If you're an audiobook type of person, Julia Whelan is by far my favorite narrator, and she's actually the narrator of this audiobook. I enjoyed it so much that I purchased my own copy after reading a borrowed copy from the library, and I've refrained from highlighting passages because I would end up highlighting the entire thing. If you don't want to read the entire book, I highly recommend the last two chapters. They're profound even out of context from the entire book. I hope I've given you a good enough description about the book to hopefully want more. I will leave some details unknown about the sentencing and the outcome of the house. Ultimately, the two questions it poses that I like to discuss with others and am now opening to the community is, what should be done with houses, whether they're historic or not, where crimes have been committed? 
And in that vein, does it depend on the severity of the crime? Should they be demolished? Should they be replaced with memorials? I think this is a really interesting question because there is no right or wrong. And the next question is, do you believe in ghosts or spirits? Obviously, this is a question that I would ask in general, but I feel like it relates really well to the book because of the impact that this house had on the neighbors and their experiences with hearing the children. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. I will open a question box on Instagram stories over the weekend to collect responses to the questions I've mentioned. I also created a private Facebook group called the Haunted and Historic Community. So come and join and share any of your favorite old houses, creepy finds, or spooky stories, and you can meet other like-minded people. If you enjoyed this episode and you found it thought-provoking, informative, or interesting in any way, let me know. If you're interested in episodes of a similar nature, I'd also like to know because I want to record episodes that you want to hear. I thought maybe I could do an episode of houses that were demolished after crimes were committed and some that are still standing today. If you have any ideas for future podcast episodes, please email me at hauntedandhistoric@gmail.com, at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at hauntedandhistoric. Thank you immensely for your support on this podcast and I will talk to you in the next one.